Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 129 of the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm assistant to Peter Lightheart, the president of Theopolis Institute. Theopolis Institute trains men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs will learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. Today is Ash Wednesday in 2018, and in this episode, Peter Lightheart is going to discuss Lent, as well as the text for the first Sunday in the season of Lent. We really hope that you enjoy this discussion over these texts, and as always, thank you so much for listening. Welcome to the Theopolis Podcast. This is Peter Lightheart, and I'm here with Brian Motes, and we're discussing the lectionary readings for the first Sunday in Lent, which is in 2018, is uh, February 18th. The readings for the first Sunday in Lent are Genesis 22, verses 1 through 18, the story of Abram sacrificing Isaac. Uh, James 1, a portion of that, verses 12 through 18, and then a portion of Mark 1, uh, verses 9 through 15, which includes both the baptism of Jesus and his testing in the wilderness by the devil. Before I go into some of the specifics of these passages, I wanted to talk a little bit about Lent and review things that we've said in previous podcasts about the observance of the church year. Um, among other things, the church calendar has the pedagogical value of focusing our attention every year on uh, central episodes in the gospel story, the gospel accounts. Uh, every year we um, have uh, uh, several weeks to reflect on the uh, advent of Christ, the coming of Christ in his birth, and that extends out to various other forms of advent and uh, ultimately his final advent at the end of all things. Uh, every year we uh, remember his birth uh, at Christmas through the season of Epiphany. That In the church calendar, that season is covering uh, Jesus' ministry in healing and miracles. It's covering his uh, the manifestation of his glory in his baptism is covering the manifestation of the glory ultimately, as we saw last week in the transfiguration. Um, and then you move into a period of Lent, a 40-day period, excluding the Sundays of Lent, a 40-day period uh, in which the church has focused on uh, the uh, sufferings of Jesus and ultimately the death of Jesus at Good Friday. Uh, and then the resurrection, uh, Jesus ascension and the outpouring of the Spirit of Pentecost. So one of the values of observing a church calendar is simply to have these this sequence of events just uh, reiterated year after year, uh, different texts in different lectionary cycles, but you're covering the same set of events year after year after year. Um, and I imagine I've said this before on the podcast. I say it a lot when I talk about the church calendar, but there are passages of uh, uh, John's account of the of the Passion of Christ that are virtually I have virtually memorized, not because I ever sat down to memorize them, but because because I heard them year after year uh, during Lent. They were the they were the readings uh, in the in the Lutheran Church for Lent. So there's a there's a pedagogical value. If if nothing else, there's a pedagogical value in uh, maintaining a church calendar, observing a church calendar, uh, and uh, keeping the keeping your focused uh, on the center of our faith, which is. Uh, Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, who comes in the power of the Spirit, keeping our keeping our faith centered on Jesus and His work on our behalf. The church calendar is a way to to write that story 
into our annual, the rhythms of our of our life each year, our annual rhythms. And I think that uh, the particular value, I'm thinking about Lent, Lent and other seasons like that in, uh, specifically, there's particular value in observing seasons. Uh, there are some churches that will observe kind of one-off holidays. Uh, they'll They'll uh, have a special celebration for Christmas, a one-day celebration. They'll have a special celebration. Uh, maybe, they, maybe they'll have a Good Friday service. Uh, they'll have a, definitely a special celebration for Easter, perhaps for Ascension Day, Pentecost. There are certain uh, particular individual days that are highlighted uh, that uh, are uh, uh, celebrated as moments in the life of Christ. I don't condemn that by any means because I think we ought to commemorate those things. But the, there's something about the the extended seasons like Advent, Epiphany is a, a somewhat extended season. Lent, uh, even the Easter season has some uh, is a is a lengthy season. Uh, there's there's something valuable about stretching out these seasons. So you're not just celebrating these in one-off, one Sunday celebrations, but you're reflecting on them over a period of time. And it just writes those rhythms, again, it writes those rhythms into our experience of time. Our time gets redeemed. Our time becomes a time of commemoration and uh, recollection and worship of Jesus Christ. Um, a lot of questions come up with Lent. Uh, I refer you to uh, a, a set of reflections that I have written up on the Theopolis website. Uh, uh, the link is in your program notes if you want to take a look at it. Uh, where I go through some of the pedagogical, spiritual, and cultural reasons for observing for observing Lent. I think there are important cultural reasons for having seasons like Lent in an age of self-indulgence. Uh, we need to be reminded of uh, the self-sacrifice of Jesus, that he gave himself up for us, that he didn't seek his own, uh, but he sought our good. And Lent is a, uh, the various practices of Lent and the commemoration of Lent is a is a good way to have that kind of reminder. Um, when I was growing up, the Lutheran Church we didn't fast. We didn't we 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 observed Ash Wednesday, but it was an ashless Ash Wednesday. We didn't actually get uh, marked with ashes. I don't think any of those practices, the, the particular practices of Lenten fasting, I don't think are required by any means. I don't think churches are required to have uh, ashes on Ash Wednesday. Um, but I, those are uh, biblical practices. Uh, people use ashes to uh, mark times of mourning. Uh, people use uh, fasting. Uh, Jesus commends fasting. Uh, obviously, he gives instructions about fasting, about the way to fast, uh, that differ from the fasting of the Pharisees. But he expects his disciples to fast. So um, those are healthy and good practices. They can certainly be abused and become sources of spiritual pride and you know superiority, but um, they need not. Uh, one thing I, I would say about fasting, one, one of the things that uh, we did in uh, when I was a pastor in Moscow that uh, I thought was a really helpful, uh, uh, a helpful reminder of the nature of fasting in the Christian church. Uh, we took uh, Isaiah 58 as kind of our, our lead, as our lead, and when we observed Lent, uh, we didn't want to simply abstain from things as if fasting were a kind of uh, uh, personal self-discipline or way of uh, beating the body into submission. Uh, Isaiah 58 says that the true fast that the Lord calls for is self-restraint, a restraint of self-indulgence, so that we can serve and minister to others. Uh, is not this the fast that I've chosen? 
uh, to feed the hungry and to clothe the naked and to uh, to uh, break the bands of uh, break the uh, chains of oppression. So we tried to instead of uh, simply there are a lot of people in the church who did observe various forms of fasting, many of them uh, symbolic, but I think still useful forms of fasting. But as a church, what we primarily focused on was uh, using Lent to uh, devote a specific time to ministries in the community. So we, one year we started out uh, visiting a, uh, an old folks' home every Wednesday evening during the Lenten season. Um, and uh, that, became, uh, that became a permanent ministry of the church. I don't know if it's still going on there, but at the, uh, when I, as long as I was there at, uh, at the church, the, that, uh, that Lenten activity had become a permanent part of the church. Uh, we we did other things of that of that sort, so that we not just uh, giving something up, but we're directing our energies. We're sacrificing time that we could be do, doing something else. Uh, you know, watching the watching uh, uh, March Madness or whatever happens during Lent uh, in the sports world. Devote ourselves instead to ministering and doing what Isaiah fifty eight uh, says is the true fast. Um, so those are some. Thoughts about Lent and about the uh, the practice of those uh, of those uh, seasons in general. As I said, the passages for this uh, first Sunday in Lent for 2018 are Genesis 22, James 1, and Mark 1. And I think the thing that unites all of the passages together is the issue of testing. Um, Genesis 22 is a good passage to read at the beginning of Lent for the obvious typological reasons. Uh, it's a type of the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus as the son of Abraham who goes to his cross as the altar. Jesus also as the substitute for the son. It's a, it's a good reminder that uh, uh, this was at the center of Israel's entire liturgical system. Eventually, the temple was built on Mount Moriah. Uh, the only earlier reference that we have to Mount Moriah or the mountains of Moriah is in Genesis 22. Abram takes Isaac and uh, uh, is about to sacrifice him on the mountains of Moriah when the Lord provides a substitute. And every worshiper at the temple would have been going through that same sequence. He comes with an animal that is a substitute for himself or his son, his family, uh, and offers it at the temple on Mount Moriah. Um, uh, Hebrews indicates that uh, Abram expected uh, and knew that uh, Isaac would be returning with him. That's what Genesis 22 actually indicates. Uh, Abram expects Isaac to come down the mountain with him. How is that going to happen? Uh, Hebrews 11 suggests that Abram uh, expects uh, an, an, a risen Isaac to come back. Uh, put uh, Kierkegaard and other dramatizations of Abram out, out of your mind. Abram does not is not in... Uh, is not traumatized by this demand. It's a hard demand. It's a demand that only a, a uh, somebody who has walked with the Lord as long as Abram has, uh, only that kind of man can fulfill this kind of hard demand to be willing to give up his own son when the Lord calls him to. But that's the kind of man, the kind of man that the Lord has made Abraham over the course of his life. And Abraham uh, goes to Mount Moriah with resurrection faith. Isaac is, after all, uh, a risen son from the moment of his conception. Paul tells us that uh, Abram's body is as good as dead, Sarah's womb is dead, 
and out of these two dead people, uh, the Lord brings uh, new life. So Abram knows that God is able to raise the dead, and so he goes to Mount Moriah in faith uh, and uh, receives uh, Isaac back, as Hebrew says, as in a type, a type of the resurrection of Jesus. So all that, that's, in, that's uh, a, uh, a good reading to begin Lent and set, set our orientation to Jesus as, as our new Isaac, also Jesus as the uh, one who substitutes for us. But uh, at the beginning of the chapter, we're told that the Lord tested Abraham uh, and called him and instructed him to take his son, his beloved son, and uh, take him to the mountain and offer him as a as a as an ascension offering, and that's the theme that theme of testing that's taken up in the other readings uh, for this first Sunday in Lent. James uh, one is an epistolary reflection, epistolary instruction about testing and tempting. Some of the older translations of Genesis, of Genesis twenty two uh, uh, use the uh, translate the word test as tempt. The Lord tempted Abram um, in. Older English tempt didn't necessarily carry the connotation of trying to entice somebody to evil. It could mean uh, simply a, a test, and that's what it means in that passage. And that's the distinction that James is uh, talking about in uh, James 1, verses 12 through 18. He's writing to people who are under trial. He's writing to the 12 tribes that are dispersed abroad. I think that's a reference not to the dis- diaspora of Jews, I think he's writing to the diaspora of believers, followers of Jesus, many of whom would have been Jews, but they're followers of Jesus, who have been dispersed by the persecution that began in uh, Jerusalem. That's a major theme, uh, a major thread running through the book of Acts. Uh, Once the persecution breaks out in Jerusalem, then you have uh, the diaspora of the early church. Uh, And because of that diaspora, people go to Samaria, and then they go on to Antioch, and Antioch becomes the um, the base for uh, mission to the Gentiles once Paul is converted. So I think that's the diaspora that he's talking to. But these are people who have been forced out of their homes. They've been uh, they are probably under threat, uh, uh, literally under threat of their lives from some of their enemies. Peter, James rather addresses conflicts within the churches that sound like they're. Uh, conflicts that could lead to somebody's death. Uh, Jeff Myers, uh, one of our uh, one of our Theopolis uh, instructors, has argued that that's not, that's not to be taken metaphorically. Uh, James is talking about people and conflicts in the church that could actually lead to murderous, you know, it could be, lead to violence. So that's the kind of situation that the readers are in. And James uh, blesses those who persevere under those kinds of trials. But he goes on to clarify that these trials uh, can't be blamed on God in the sense that you can't say that God is tempting you to evil. I think that's the that's the uh, the distinction that we need to keep in mind, or the distinction that um, James is making. Uh, God does uh, send us providence, providential circumstances that test our faith. He does that with Abraham. He does that with other uh, with other uh, uh, faithful saints of the Old Testament. But what he does not do is seek to trap us and make us do evil. And the reason why he doesn't do that is the, that he can't possibly do that because he's, uh, he's wholly good. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. He's the Father of lights. There is no variation or shifting shadow. There's no dark side to God. Uh, 
If God puts a providential circumstance in our way so that we're tested, he does that for the sake of our growth and our good and our maturation as he does with Abram. He's not doing that because he's trying to trip us up and get us to sin. Uh, Within this, uh, James also describes this uh, little life cycle of sin. Um, Each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. So if, uh, if we're tempted to sin and we're inclined to sin, it's because of the evil that's coming from our own hearts, not because God is trying to entice us into sin. And this desire, this evil desire, um, lust is an, a, a somewhat misleading translation because in, uh, in English, lust is almost entirely a, a reserved for sexual desire, sinful sexual desire. But um, it, this word simply means desire, evil desire. When uh, evil desire is the beginning, evil desire conceives, then it gives birth, and then it comes to maturity, and in its maturity it brings forth death. So um, it's our own, uh, it's our own hearts, it's our own evil desires that uh, give form to sin. Uh, first conceived in our hearts, then gives birth to overt sin, and that eventually leads to death. Uh, James knows that people who are under trial will be tempted in various ways to do that, that there'll be desires for safety that will lead them to compromise. Uh, There'll be desire to escape that will lead them to deny Jesus. Um, We're put under other kinds of circumstances where we might be, our our evil desires might lead us uh, into sin. Uh, But uh, James's point is that these evil desires are uh, not planted there by God, and God doesn't want to um, God is not trying to lead us into sin. Uh, if anything, he puts tests in our way so that we can, we'll uh, mortify our evil desires. We'll put, a, we'll put the flesh to death. So, that, uh, so Genesis 22, James 1, both reflecting on trials, tests, and how we should uh, conceive of those. And the Mark uh, passage, the gospel passage in Mark 1, verses 9 through 15, is talking specifically about Jesus uh, going to be tested by the devil. Um, again, a suitable uh, reading at the beginning of uh, at the beginning of uh, Lent, the beginning of a forty-day fast period, and Jesus goes out into the wilderness and he fasts and is tempted by Satan for forty days. So that's one of the reasons why the why this passage is put up front, uh, put at the beginning of the Lenten season. And it also gives us some insight into. Uh, the nature of testing and uh, conflicts with with the devil. It's uh, the the uh, passage uh, moves from the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus receives the Spirit, is empowered by that Spirit. He's proclaimed and, and uh, declared to be the Son of the Father by a voice from heaven, a well pleasing Son, and then the same Spirit that's descended on him from the Father impels him and drives him out into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil. Um, the spirit is the spirit of uh, the spirit is the spirit that anoints him as the king. The spirit is the spirit that anoints him and is a gift from the father to the son. And it's as the beloved son that he's impelled by the spirit to go out, out into the wilderness to be tempted. Uh, tempted conflicts with Satan, temptation and trials are not contradictions of our sonship. Uh, quite the opposite. Jesus is declared son and then immediately sent into the wilderness where he does battle with the devil. Um, 
he's he's out there with the wild beasts. That's a note uh, that Mark includes in in uh, Mark one thirteen that the other gospels don't. Uh, that could be an, an Adamic reference. Jesus is going into the wilderness. Uh, he's going to be a new and greater Adam who defeats the serpent of the wilderness. Uh, that, Adam, that the, the serpent that defeated Adam in the garden, Jesus defeats in the wilderness. Uh, and going out into the wilderness where there are wild beasts is a hint of his dominion, not only over the serpent, but over other beasts. It could also be part of a Davidic typology that's running through the gospel uh, before before David uh, met Goliath and fought Goliath, he tells uh, Saul that he had fought against lions and bears and other wild beasts. So Jesus is a kingly figure out in the wilderness, being tempted by the devil and overcoming the devil. Uh, and then once he's overcome the devil, he goes out on his mission proclaiming the kingdom. That whole sequence is important. It's part of the, the front part of the sequence is important for understanding the nature of trials and our life in, uh, as disciples of Jesus, we are sons and daughters in in the Son, uh, but uh, as sons and daughters of the Father in Jesus, where uh, the Spirit is impelling us out of the wilderness, out into desolate places where we're tempted by the devil, and then having overcome the devil, that's a uh, for Jesus. That's a, the beginning of his victory that he's announcing when he goes out to proclaim the gospel. He's announcing the victory of God. He's announcing that God is taking control of His world. His rule is being established, and one mark of that rule is his conquest is Jesus' conquest of the devil. That's the same sequence in the life of the church and the life of Christians. We battle with Satan, and our victories over Satan, our victories over temptation, uh, are uh, part of the victory of God that's working out in our lives. The victory that we proclaim when we uh, proclaim the gospel. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.